Welcome to the Preacher Girl Podcast. I'm Diane Wright, and today's talk was originally delivered at Hopedale Unitarian Universalist Congregation in Oxford, Ohio, on March 10th, 2013. March 10th was the 137th anniversary of Alexander Graham Bell's invention of the telephone. So my talk focused on communication and technology. The title of the talk is Say Hello. The children's story for the talk is a Buddhist tale called The Farmer on the Mountain. Once upon a time, long ago, there was a village by the sea. Right beside the village, a mountain rose up, and up on a terraced farm lived one farmer. He kept to himself, and he was pretty grumpy most of the time. But the villagers would watch out for him, and if a couple of days went by and they didn't see him out in his fields on the terraces, they would bring up food and check on him and ask if he was all right. And even if he was sick or injured, he would say, Why did you come up? There was no reason to do that. And they would say, But we're your neighbors. And they would give him food. One day, looking out over the ocean, the farmer saw a tsunami. He knew the people below in the village couldn't see it. And there was no way he could think of to let them know. And suddenly he realized how important his neighbors were to him. So he did the only thing he could think to do. He set his crops and his farmhouse on fire. Every single person in the village saw the fire and came running up the mountain carrying water. And because of the farmer, the whole village was saved from the tsunami. today. The first reading comes from Rabbi Joseph Telushkin's book, Jewish Wisdom. There is a late 19th century Hasidic tale about a rabbi who told his followers, everything that has been created in God's world has a lesson to teach us. Thinking that the rabbi was engaged in hyperbole, one of his followers called out, and what can we learn from the train? He said that because of being one minute late, you can lose everything. And from the telegraph? That for every word, you pay. And from the telephone? That what we say here is heard there. The second reading is a poem called The Quiet World by Jeffrey McDaniel. The Quiet World In an effort to get people to look into each other's eyes more and also to appease the mutes, the government has decided to allot each person exactly 167 words per day. When the phone rings, I put it to my ear without saying hello. In the restaurant, I point at chicken noodle soup. I am adjusting well to the new way. Late at night, 
I call my long-distance lover, proudly say, I only used 59 today, I saved the rest for you. When she doesn't respond, I know she's used up all her words, so I slowly whisper, I love you, 32 and a third times. After that, we just sit on the line and listen to each other breathe. March 10th marks the 137th anniversary of the first telephone call made by Alexander Graham Bell. I think it's an opportunity for us to think about a variety of topics, communication, technology, history, and the synergy of those three things. So today I'm going to share this talk with you in three sections. First, I want to share a story from my own childhood. And then second, I want us to think a little bit about telecommunication, and especially electronic communication. And third, I want to consider the historical context for all this change and humankind's response to these kinds of changes and what that means for the way we navigate the world. So, first, a story from my childhood. I'm going to confess something about my youth. During my adolescence, some of my most formative experiences were connected to a band from Scotland called the Bay City Rollers. When I was 12 and 13, I became obsessed with them. And one day, after hearing that once when they were mobbed by fans, one of the rollers were actually injured, I decided to create a group to protect the rollers. I created the Caper Army, the Citizens Army for the Protection of Every Roller. And I set out to create a global network of fans. And this was before the internet. This was before faxes. So using friends of friends' addresses and information from magazines, I set about creating a newsletter, and eventually I had 120 members all around the world. There was a hotline for information about the Bay City Rollers, and it was a New York number, which meant it was long distance. Um, So I was always a little bit scared of actually connecting and having my father see the charges on the telephone bill. But if it was after 11 p.m. on the weekend, I would go down to the little nook and make the call, and invariably, the hotline was busy. But one night, as I was listening to the busy signal for a moment, I thought I heard something else. And sure enough, as I listened carefully, I heard voices in between the beeps. And as I focused more, I realized that through some strange quirk of technology, girls from all over the United States were able to communicate through the busy signals. So the conversations would go something like this. Hello, beep. My beep. Name beep. Is Mary beep. I'm from Oklahoma. And we would sit on the phone 
talking in these jagged ways for hours. And finally, after listening to that a couple of nights, I got up the nerve to introduce myself. Hello, my name is Diane. I'm from Ohio. When I think back about that time and the sheer wonder of being connected to those girls all across the country, it makes me wonder if I had had the internet then, would the quality of that connection been the same? Would I have felt that same sense of wonder at hearing their voices? And that brings me to all the opportunities for connection today. Right now, it seems that nothing is a more vivid example of controversial new communication technology than Facebook. Now, full disclosure, I use Facebook and I like it. And my comments about Facebook will probably reflect my overall positive bias toward Facebook as a communication technology. Two years ago, my college-age son decided to travel cross-country over summer vacation to visit friends in Montana, Idaho, and San Francisco. I heard from him every couple of days, and then I got a little worried when I didn't hear from him for three days, then four days. Then finally, I got the call from San Francisco, and he said, Mom... First of all, I I left my phone charger with my friends in Idaho, and I didn't find a place to buy a new one until now, and that's why I couldn't call. But I was supposed to stay here in San Francisco with a group of guys I know from high school, and when I got here, I found out that actually, they're still living in their van. Don't you know a couple of people out here? I think I could use some help. Well, Facebook saved the day. I posted a note about my son's situation and sent direct Facebook messages to friends in California, and within three hours, my son had been picked up by a college friend and was enjoying Chinese food and listening to stories about my college days. And later that week, a high school friend of mine picked him up and gave him a full tour of the city and let him stay on his couch for another three days. My son had a fantastic trip. Facebook seems to make a caricature out of the expectations we bring to it. Everything from the intensified angst of teenagers on Facebook and the terrible cases of cyberbullying to the new studies that show when seniors use Facebook, it has a positive impact on mental functioning. I think we perceive Facebook based on our own expectations, desires, and fears. If we believe Facebook is a manipulative entity fraught with danger, we will, even without realizing it, pay more attention to the stories that support our point of view. I think we have all heard the statistics about how quickly technology is evolving, how quickly information is being generated and shared. So, given the totally new scope and breadth of these changes, Does history have anything to teach us? So third, how have we dealt with these kinds of changes throughout history? 
Anne Blair, in her book, Too Much to Know, talks about previous innovations which, while not exact parallels, offer us interesting insight into our reactions to technology today. For example, she talks about the response to books. Philosophers, including Plato, didn't approve of this newfangled invention called the book. They worried that we would lose our ability to share an oral history and that we would lose the capacity of our memories. Two examples of this were the reactions of the philosophers Pliny and Seneca. Pliny said, There is no book so bad that some good cannot be gotten from it. Seneca said, not quite on the other side of this issue, too many books is a distraction. Choose a few books and read them carefully and well. James Gleick, in his book, The Information, asks us to imagine a time when communication could travel no faster than human beings could travel. I had to really sit with that thought, how my world would be shaped differently if that were the case. There are stories about the first European visitors to sub-Saharan Africa, where they encountered the talking drum tradition of the Congo. It was a mystery to the Europeans that communication via the drumming could travel village to village faster than any person could travel. And then came the telegraph. And then came the telephone. All of these things in the face of many naysayers and much concern. So when it comes to new technology, are you more like Pliny or more like Seneca? It makes me think of a comment that is sometimes made about Unitarian Universalists, that we can tell you what we don't believe much more easily than we can tell you what we do believe. I think it's often easier for us to discuss what we disapprove of rather than to discuss what we celebrate. It's sometimes easier to be a naysayer. As I was preparing for today, I came across the words of many naysayers, sometimes in relation to technology and communication, sometimes in relation to other things, and I decided it would be fun to share some of these with you today. You may have heard some of these quotes before. From the Boston Post in 1865 came this quote, well-informed people know it is impossible to transmit the voice over wires. Even if it were, it would be of no practical value. And in 1876, Rutherford B. Hayes said, An amazing invention, but who would ever want to use one? Thomas Watson, the chair of IBM in 1943, said, I think there is a world market for maybe five computers. The editor in charge of business books for Prentice Hall said in 1957, I have traveled the length and breadth of this country and talked with the best people, and I can assure you that data processing is a fad that won't last out the year. 
Ken Olson, the president, chairman, and founder of Digital Equipment Company, said in 1977, there is no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. And even Alexander Graham Bell himself said, the telephone will be used to inform people that a telegram has been sent. Businessmen who were being urged to invest in the radio in the 1920s responded, the wireless music box has no imaginable commercial value. Who would pay for a message sent to nobody in particular? Fred Smith, the man who went on to found FedEx, wrote a paper proposing reliable overnight delivery service as a student at Yale. And his professor commented on the paper, the concept is interesting and well-formed, but in order to earn better than a C, the idea must be feasible. H.M. Warner of Warner Brothers said in 1927, who the heck wants to hear actors talk? The Decca Recording Company, in their message rejecting the Beatles in 1962, said, We don't like their sound, and guitar music is on the way out. Then there are these notes from Fred Astaire's screen test. The notes said, Can't dance, can't act, can sing a little. Maréchal Ferdinand Foch, the professor of strategy at l'École supérieure de guerre, said, Airplanes are interesting toys, but of no military value. Pierre Pachet, a professor of physiology at Toulouse, in 1872, said, Louis Pasteur's theory of germs is ridiculous fiction. Bill Gates, in 1981, said of computer memory size, 640K ought to be enough for anybody. Well, how many of us have responded to the joys or dreams of others with pessimism or a tone of dismissal? And how many of us have smarted from the negative or dismissive comments of others when we have shared our dream or our joy? I was so lucky as a child that my parents could hear a 12-year-old explaining her dream of creating an international organization and say, that sounds exciting, honey. There is a wonderful documentary about yoga called Enlighten Up, and in it, a filmmaker convinces a yoga novice to try yoga for six months. The six months culminate with a trip to India where they meet a yogi a very kind, happy man who listens patiently as the young man, the novice, asks how yoga might help him find himself. And the yogi says, to find yourself, reflect on your life, and anything that is not you, let it fall away. Anything that is not you, let it fall away. Let it go, so that all that is left is you. I've been reflecting on this ever since I saw the documentary. What a path toward peace. 
When people in our lives share their dream, their favorite YouTube video, or a text they just received, what would it be like to focus on their joy rather than on our consternation with the newfangled thing? One of my sisters is a person who never misses an opportunity to tell people how she has decided to never be on Facebook. I think we all know people like that. And over time, it has meant that, maybe even unconsciously, I stop sharing certain information, certain delights with her, because they are somehow connected with Facebook, and I know if I tell her about it, I will hear her lecture about the evils of Facebook. Many people talk about how technology creates barriers to true connections with others. But is that really the case? It seems to me curmudgeonliness is a bigger barrier than technology. It's the 137th anniversary of the telephone, and here we all sit, many of us with our cell phones silenced at our sides. We cannot know what the future will bring, but we can reflect on who we are. We can find peace with ourselves if we are with connections like Seneca was with books. Choose a few and read them carefully and well. And we can find peace with ourselves if we are with connections like Pliny was with books something good to be found from any one of them. Surely each of us has elements of each of them, Pliny and Seneca, making our way in the world. I love the poem about the daily word limit. If you only had a limited number of words to speak, what would you say and to whom? Because ultimately, We do have a limited number of words to speak and a limited amount of time with one another. How are we spending it? Sitting in the nook as a 12-year-old, listening to the voices between the busy signals, I was hungry for connection. Today, there are more ways than ever before to establish connection. It's not the tools themselves, but how we choose to use them that moves us toward or away from peace. The Zen teacher Yasutani Roshi said, The fundamental delusion of humanity is to suppose that I am here and you are out there. In the ever-increasing cacophony of this world, May we find the calm within ourselves that allows us to realize our connection to one another and to say hello. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Preacher Girl Podcast. I'm Diane Wright, and you can find more episodes of the Preacher Girl Podcast on iTunes. Special thanks to sound engineer Stephen Grant Smith. 
You can find his music on iTunes and on Amazon.com. Tune in again, and as always, feed your spirit, live in love. <laughs>